This is Corey, writer and producer of the Who Killed My Mother podcast. Before you jump into this episode, I just wanted to remind you that if you visit whokilledmymother.com forward slash newsletter, you can join my mailing list. When you do, I'll send you bonus audio episodes, the autopsy report, and other freebies just for being a listener of the show. I promise it's really free and I'll never do anything weird like sell your email for Starbucks points, so check it out if free stuff is your thing. And don't forget that there are also links to three free books in the show notes of this episode, so be sure to grab those too. And even if free stuff isn't your thing, I want to thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. I was prepared to invest months and months in this, and sitting here with the dappled sunlight, wanting but unmoving, yet I need not wait so long. From the poem We See What We Want To, written by me, KB Marie, and this is the true story of who killed my mother. I can't hear myself think with the pounding in my ears. Over my thunderous heartbeat, I said, I'm sorry, what did you say the cause of death was? The cause of death for your mother was acute fentanyl intoxication. Acute fentanyl intoxication, I repeat. Fentanyl, I don't, I don't know what that is. How did she? I think I'd heard the word fentanyl before, somewhere, but I'd never heard my mother mention it and I wasn't sure what it looked like or how one ingested it, but I understood, at least from context, that it was a drug. It's an overdose, she said patiently. Questions float to the surface, emerging from the twisting confusion of my mind. Does it say if there were marks on her body, or how much of this fentanyl was in her? Ma'am, I can't tell you any of that. I can only read you the cause of death over the phone. She interrupted me. If you need more information, you have to go to our website and order the full report. Just fill out the form and enter your payment information, and your request will be fulfilled in a few days. Payment information. Online requests. And once you get your report, just read through it, and if you still have questions, you can request to speak to the medical examiner who performed the autopsy, and she'll be happy to go over the report with you and explain her findings. I definitely want to speak to the medical examiner, I said. Can I make that request now? I'll make note of it, but there is part of the form where you must indicate your wish to speak to the medical examiner as well. Be sure to check that box when you fill out the form, okay? Yes, okay. Is there anything else I can do for you today, ma'am? Anything else? I had a million other things I wanted her to do. Email me the report now. March into the medical examiner's office and tell her that she had an urgent call that needed to be answered right this minute. Anything but leave me here in the swell of my confusion trying to understand the answer I've finally been given. No, but thank you, I tell her. Of course, and added a somber, have a good day. As soon as I set the phone down on the dining room table, I opened my laptop. I went to the website, scrolled through the pages until I find the autopsy request form. I filled it out and checked the box indicating that I'd like the examiner who completed the autopsy to call me as soon as possible and go over the report with me. After I calmed down, and have a chance to consider things. I realize it's not a bad idea that I have to wait a moment to speak to the examiner, 
This way I can get the report, read it carefully, and write down all of my questions. I'll be better prepared for the call when it does come. Had I actually talked to her today, I'm sure I would have forgotten things or asked the wrong questions. My mind would have been a mess. I use my debit card to pay the $30 fee for the report. It tells me that I will receive the full autopsy report by email in five to eight business days. What's five to eight business days after 14 weeks of waiting, I tell myself, and submit the request. As soon as it's off, I begin a fresh research spiral. I want to learn everything I can about fentanyl, what it is, what it looks like. It doesn't take me long to find answers. It's a hot topic. According to drugabuse.gov, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid similar to morphine, except it's 50 to 100 times more potent. It's a prescription drug, but it can also be made illegally. When used legally, it's taken for pain. The reason I'd probably heard of it was because the opioid epidemic consuming America has been in the news more and more often lately. The CDC reported that 30,000 Americans died from opioid overdoses in 2014. In 2010, only 14.3% of opioid overdoses involved fentanyl. By 2017, it was 59%. Much like heroin, when taken, fentanyl causes extreme happiness, drowsiness, nausea, confusion, sedation, or unconsciousness, as well as problems breathing. Fentanyl is cheaper and easier to find than heroin, and many dealers use fentanyl to cut heroin and expand their profit margins because it's cheaper to make and sell. My eyes snagged on the sentence and my heart sputtered. I read, Users and dealers may not realize that fentanyl is a drug that they are using, as it is often passed off as pure heroin. I have to tell Shay the bad news. It isn't a call I want to make, but I promised to tell her the cause of death as soon as I found out, and that time had come. So I get on Facebook, opened our messenger chat, and wrote, The cause of death was fentanyl. The internet says sometimes it's used as a heroin filler, or passed off as heroin because it's cheaper. So I don't know if he shot her up with it, or if it was a pill, or what happened. I would have to ask the medical examiner clarifying questions as to how the fentanyl might have been ingested, but until I had the full autopsy report, I wasn't sure what those questions might be. Three hours later, Shay replied, He killed her then. He knew what fentanyl was, and a lot of people have died of the same thing. She goes on to tell me about an ex-girlfriend who passed the same way because a friend had tricked her and laced her weed with it. Before I can reply to this, She's left six more messages. Damn, 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 she wouldn't have no clue what Joe was about to shoot her with. No way. How much was in her system? S-O-B. That's okay, he'll get his. Karma is a bitch. I'm calling him now. I had just signed into Facebook when the last of the messages come through. He's saying, of course, that she broke into the safe and must have taken them all. Here I managed to get a word in. I don't believe she broke into the safe and took fentanyl. He said he kept his stuff in the safe because he knew she couldn't get in there. How did she suddenly break in? I consider for the thousandth time his changing story about the safe, how he found it cracked open on the patio after returning from his weeks in jail, how he wasn't sure if the police did that or his sister, and how the story only emerged after I pressed him to explain why, after using the safe to effectively secure the drugs for months, had it suddenly failed 
and become so penetrable. To Shay, I wrote, Why did he tell the police he thought she got into his heroin? Why didn't he just say pills if he thought it was pills? Because this is a sticking point for me. When the police asked Joe what happened, he told them that he thought she'd gotten into his heroin. He didn't say that to me, because he knew I would never believe it. But to the police, he had insisted it was heroin, not, I think she took too many pills, or, I think she used my meth, of which I'm about to be arrested with, or any other drug he could have mentioned. He'd said heroin. And even when pressed, he continued to say heroin. He stuck to that. Why? What reason did he have to say heroin, unless he'd been certain that it was heroin? And how could he have been certain unless he knew what he'd given her, or at least thought he knew? Because Shay is under the impression that he's surprised to find out it's fentanyl. And I would have been surprised too if I'd bought enough pure heroin to kill a horse, only to find out I'd been ripped off and given the cheap stuff. I asked, did he say what form the fentanyl was in? No, he didn't say. He was in a hurry to get me off the phone, saying he wasn't there, that he'd been working. At what job? When I tell her I don't know what fentanyl's for or what it even looks like. She says, I don't know much about that stuff either. I know it's for pain. My mom had patches for her back, and I know around here people are dropping like flies that are using it. But no way she broke into his safe. That's bullshit. I don't believe it for a minute. Then how did she get it? I asked. Hold on, now he's saying that maybe she walked down to the apartment complex at the end of the road and got herself some. He's saying she walked down to the end of the road and bought fentanyl? With what money? I recall Detective Barnes telling me, he says they had a fight about money that night, but that he swears he didn't hurt her over that. Had that been true? Had my mother found where Joe had hidden her SSI money and taken some of it for herself? I find this new story very difficult to believe. My mother, who'd been setting pans on fire on the stove and forgetting what she had said to me 15 minutes into a conversation, was now somehow capable of, one, finding the money that he had hidden, two, remembering that she'd found the money, three, walk the quarter mile down the road to the complex and wander around enough to find someone who would be willing to sell her drugs in broad daylight. It's the third condition that seems the most impossible to me. Even if we overlook the enormously questionable steps of whether or not she had the cognitive consistency to walk down the street and back alone and not get lost, there's the fact that my mother was nearly blind. Her vision had been terrible for years, but seeing was nearly impossible for her once she'd lost her glasses. In May, after Nana died, I had offered to buy her new glasses, because seeing had been such a problem for her. Just go down to the Walmart Vision Center, get your exam, and pick out your glasses and have them call me, I told her. I'll pay for everything over the phone. Joe even promised to take her, but later he left a message on my voicemail saying that he'd gone down there, but that it was closed. For whatever reason, he hadn't tried to take her again, though I'd brought it up every time that I'd spoken to her before her phone was cut off. So if my mother can't see well enough to navigate the house she knows by heart and can't think straight long enough not to set something on fire or to stuff a remote in the freezer, how did she manage to walk down the road, find someone to buy drugs from, and come all the way back? And if Joe really thought this was a possibility, why hadn't he said so before? 
Why go on and on and insist that she'd broken into his safe, only to later say, Just kidding, she might have bought drugs from someone down the street. Just in case, I do a bit of research about the apartment complex at the end of the road. Google has 59 reviews for the place, with an average rating of 3.1. Several residents praised the location and the friendly staff. Others complained about maintenance issues. Only one reviewer, the daughter of a resident, painted a more sinister picture saying that the police often knocked on doors, looking for fugitives, and suspicious-looking men loitered in the parking lot. Is this one out of 60 stories the one I'm to believe? That my blind mother, with her newly discovered money, wandered down the street and found some fentanyl-laden young man in a parking lot from whom she bought the drugs that would kill her? And am I to believe this? After having spoken to my mom on the phone for years, and having never heard her mention this apartment complex herself. But let's say she did go down there. The only thing my mother would have been willing to buy was a pill. And let's say she did buy a pill. Then what? She walked home with it in her hand, and despite having the memory of a goldfish, didn't forget that she had it, or that she'd put it in her pocket, didn't drop it in the road or in a ditch, because if she had dropped it, that would have been the end of it. She would have been on her hands and knees in that road, or in the ditch, searching well into the night for this pill. And hell, maybe halfway through the search, she would have most certainly forgotten what it was that she had been looking for. Or maybe she took the pill as soon as she bought it. If that's the case, would she have even made it home? A pill or a lozenge is supposed to hit you within minutes. How could she have made it home in time to collapse in the floor where Joe supposedly found her? None of this, in my mind, is enough to corroborate Joe's story, probably because the story itself isn't cohesive enough to support. And which possibility is more likely? That Joe really didn't know what happened that day? That sure, he knew what an overdose looked like? And sure, he was certain of all the drugs in the world, which one it was that had killed her? Even though he had multiple drugs in his safe, it had to have been the least likely suspect, heroin. And all of these changing stories just reflect the wild speculation on his part, because he, like us, is absolutely flabbergasted by all of this. Or is it more likely that he's lying, and when one lie stopped working, he tried another, that the changing stories are simply that, smoke and mirrors, to keep us from seeing a more damning truth, that he said heroin because he thought it was heroin that he'd bought, that he'd given her, that he'd said overdose because he knew it was an overdose, because he had been there, he had seen it. Two weeks later, Joe tried to reach Shay through Facebook, begging her to give him a call back, making it sound like an urgent emergency. When she finally contacted him the next day, all he did was reiterate his story again, telling Shay that he had been at work that night, that he didn't know how my mother had gotten a hold of the fentanyl, that whatever happened, it had been an accident, he didn't tell her anything she hadn't already heard. Then why, I wonder, had he insisted on calling? For me, the form of the drug matters. The form of the drug is the deciding factor in determining how guilty Joe is for my mother's death. Apparently, fentanyl is a highly versatile drug, it comes in pill, patch, lozenge, tablet, injectable liquid, and powder forms. It can even be put on blotter paper that dissolves under the tongue. 
However, I can't imagine my mother putting something under her tongue, so I discredit this possibility immediately. There's also the possibility that she absorbed it through her skin, which can be lethal. But that means that Joe would have had to intentionally put it on her skin or left it somewhere that she would have come into contact with. Later, when I learn how much was in her body before it shut down, I find the skin contact method unlikely. But this still leaves us with many other possibilities. If it was a patch, then it likely would have been prescribed to my grandmother for pain, and perhaps Joe had the patches on hand, though I suspect that the patches were not strong enough to kill a person, so I don't believe this was the method. Because fentanyl can be ingested, snorted, smoked, or injected, I have to consider the vehicles Joe might have used for getting it into her body, or to be fair, how she might have gotten it into her body herself. My only clue is that Joe had been so adamant that it had been heroin. So for this reason, I'm tempted to believe that the fentanyl was likely in a form that mimicked heroin's, which means it would have had to have been injected, smoked, or snorted like heroin. My mother wouldn't have snorted something, so we can rule that out. And I can't really know about injections until I talk to the medical examiner and look at the report. One of them should be able to tell me if there are any track marks or puncture wounds on her body. So that leaves me with a powder or a liquid. I consider all of the ways my mother could have ingested a powder or a liquid and rank them from most to least ridiculous. First possibility, soda. Stay with me. My mother drank diet soda every day, and I do mean a lot of it. I don't think she'd ever drank just a glass of water in her life, living instead off of diet soda with ice or sometimes a coffee. Is it possible that Joe dumped some heroin in her drink when she wasn't looking? The internet can't seem to tell me how much liquid or powdered fentanyl someone would have to put in a drink in order for it to be lethal. But I can imagine him dumping in a heavy dose when she went to the bathroom or stepped outside to smoke a cigarette. Though I can't imagine Joe having the patience to wait around to make sure she drank enough soda to kill herself, which is why this idea is the most ridiculous to me. A slightly more plausible possibility was her cigarettes. Because of their lack of funds, Mom and Joe smoked hand-rolled cigarettes, and because of my mom's eyes, Joe was the one that rolled those cigarettes for her. Was it possible that he laced her cigarettes with the powder, rolling up enough heroin to sink an elephant? At first, this seemed unlikely to me because it just isn't a good idea. What if she smoked enough cigarettes to pass out, but not die? It was far from a fail-safe plan, and surely Joe realized this. Of course, it's very possible he didn't think this through. But there's another possible scenario, in which my mother would be willing to ingest a powder. My mother got very bad headaches. This had been true for years. When I was a child, she'd have me run into the gas station with a dollar bill to buy a headache powder for her. They are exactly like they sound. A small packet that you open, and on a small piece of paper, is a mound of white powder. It's essentially crushed aspirin, with a bit of caffeine mixed in. But being that it's in powder form, it acts fast. Had my mother had a headache? Had Joe offered her a headache powder to make it go away? Maybe even handing over her diet soda so she could wash it down? These scenarios will remain the most likely until I receive the full autopsy result five days later. Among the many illuminating things the report will tell me, there is one other thing. My mother had bleeding under her scalp, 
Later, the medical examiner will tell me that my mother either hit her head hard, possibly when she collapsed at the onstart of her overdose, or because something, someone, hit her head. Did Joe do that? Did he hit her, then offer her a headache powder, or worse, a pain pill, just to get her to shut up, to quiet down? Did he pour apologies into her ear as he handed over what he hoped would end her suffering? And his. Because it's still possible that my mother would have taken a pain pill of her own volition if the circumstances were right. I know that. And Joe could have kept insisting that it was heroin to make himself look a little more clueless, a little more innocent. But if Joe really had locked everything up, and my mom really did take a pill herself, the only form I can imagine her ingesting of her own free will, that still leaves the question of how did she get it? And all roads lead from Joe. She either got it from him indirectly, left carelessly on a bathroom sink or kitchen table, or perhaps even left by her soda cup on the side table, or directly pressed into her hand after he struck her, telling her to quiet down now. He was sorry. He lost his patience is all, but really wasn't it her own fault for riling him up that way? Hadn't she learned after all these years not to do that? But see, he was a good brother. He knew what she wanted and could give her what she needs. In the end, directly or indirectly, it doesn't really matter. Joe was responsible for her, legally. He agreed to that the moment he signed her SSI checks. He understood her impulses well enough to lock up her pills, so he can't claim that he didn't understand the risks, the dangers of having something like that so dangerous and life-threatening nearby, and he was the only one bringing drugs into the house. What form was the fentanyl in, and how the night of July 3rd might have unfolded, are just a few of the many questions building in my mind. I knew even then that there were questions I probably didn't even know yet, that once I read the full autopsy report, a clearer picture of my ignorance would form in my mind, and boy, had I been right. This episode of Who Killed My Mother was written and produced by me, Koi Marie, and the music was also written and produced by me, if you enjoy my storytelling, good news, there is a lot more of it out in the world. I have over 20 published books, including novels, illustrated poetry collections, and even this show is available as a memoir, to be enjoyed by yourself or by that friend who doesn't listen to podcasts. You can learn more about my work and all that I do by visiting whokilledmymother.com. If you want to do more, you can also support me on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash for just a few bucks a month, you'll get early access to my soon-to-be-released content, as well as exclusive content. Not to mention that your support lets me know you enjoy what I do and you want it to continue. And if you can't offer financial support at this time, that is okay. There is still so much you can do. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, or recommend the show to your friends. And I would be so grateful if you did. And last but not least, as always, thank you for listening.